And now, brought to you by the makers of merriment and magic at Don't Sue Us Please, it's John's Comic Corner, featuring co-head writer and all-around swell guy, John Petrie. On tonight's episode, we will be reading The Spectre. For a bonus comic discussion, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. On tonight's episode, we'll be discussing The Spectre. Adventure Comics edition numbers 431 through 440. Good afternoon, everybody. We are back. Don't sue us, please, is here with the first of what will probably be many editions of John's Comics Corner. Welcome, everybody. Today, my name is Matthew Klein. I'm the co-writer of Wonder Woman Spirit of Truth. And on the line today, we have... Mr. Josh Wilson. Hello, Josh. Good to see you. Hi, howdy. Hello. So, Josh, you are the uh, you are basically the entirety of the podcast beyond uh, once you take the script and put some voice work to it. You create the world. You create the sounds. You create the cinematic experience for the ears. Thank you for being on today. I get re- referred to as the sound department, which really cracks me up for a podcast. Um. <laughs> cracks me up as well. Now, also with us here, another member of the Don't Sue Us Please team, Kelly Monroe Johnston. How are you, Mr. Johnston? I'm very well, sir. Thank you. I'm doing well. Good to, good to be here. Oh, boy. And Kelly, you have been very, very, very hard at work lately casting uh, for some upcoming Don't Sue Indeed. Us Please productions. In fact, in fact Anything the... you want to tease about what's to come? Well, we got two, two different stories, two, different, two di- very different types of stories. Um, two parters each, and as of a couple of days ago, they are completely 100% cast. Woo! And we will actually be having the table read uh, for one of them on the 16th. We are cast, and we are we're about to start this now, process up all over again. Now, what's cool, though, is that that's really for season three. We've got season two coming our way in just two weeks, well, and here... The star yes. of this episode, yes. the man whose name for which John's Comics Corner is based off of, Mr. the Comics. writer of our upcoming season two, Mr. John Petrie. Yes. I Hello. Think I yes. Hallelujah. Oh. Yeah, you did. I'm, I'm flushing, but I'm not sure. I'm also 50, so I may just be having a hot flash. I'm not sure. <laughs> you you and my wife, pal. John, is there yeah. something you'd like to tell us about yourself here on the podcast? Uh, nothing right at the moment, okay. but I okay. would like to okay. say welcome to the first edition of Comics Corner. This is our um, something that uh, Matthew and I both love dearly, which is recommending comics and then hearing what people thought about what we recommended. So... Um, now, John, real fast, because I, I want everyone listening to understand your qualifications as a comic book recommender. A Give a little bit of a background on your history in terms of retail with comics. Uh, okay, let the people so, know where you well, come with re- Okay, so retail in general, I've worked retail in bookstores and comic book stores for... Uh, uh, uh combined total probably about 32 years or something wow. like that I've almost worked... as long as i've been alive yeah. so wow. you were you were saying 32 years in retail what you had somewhere, barnes and nobles you had there. i worked shakespeare and company barnes and noble shakespeare and company i worked at forbidden planet part-time full-time keyholder manager type person bookseller 
Um, I've been reading comics. This is 2020. That is what they tell um, us. So the calendar's going to be believed. Um, the first comic book I read was in 1976. 1976. Wow. Yes. That's very so, specific. How, how, Star how Wars it, hadn't come out yet. How is it that you were so certain of the year? Because I remember the first comic book that I bought. And it was Wonder Woman, Volume 1, number 225. So um, you looked it up. Yeah. I looked it up. And nice. I also, um, I, I had destroyed that copy just from years of reading sure. it. So I had to buy another one. Sure. So it's it's in the pile of short boxes next to me. So I have been reading comics for a long time. Um, I um, certainly owe a great deal of my comics knowledge to Mr. Klein. That's a lie. recommended certain things to me that I probably would never have tried on my own. I also thought of them to the, um, the fine workers at Forbidden Planet. Um, so for anyone who's listening to this, for anyone who needs comic recommendations, that's what your local comic shop is there to do. That's what they love. That's their, that's their greatest joy in life. Um, so go and, and ask them what to read. Um, Kelly and I and Josh and Matthew had been speaking um, uh, perhaps this is a, a foreshadowing. Perhaps not. I'll leave that up to you. Um, but we've been talking about horror <coughs> comics. Um, and so the first thing um, that I recommended to them was a book that I picked up completely randomly um, because I don't know why. I think it was just one of those things where I was like, yeah, I kind of want that. So I bought it because that's what I, that's, that's what, what impulse buying is. is. Yeah. Yes, Cap- capitalism at its best. Something caught you and your I, eye. And you, you and were I, like, have I gotta made have people so much money capitalizing on impulse buys, John. So it's it's okay. Yes, everybody loves a good impulse buy. It's true. Um, and it is in trade paperback form. It's the now out of print Wrath of the Spectre. Mm-hmm. Um, they are in single issue forms as Adventure Comics numbers. 431 through 440. And who's um, the creative team on there? Okay, so the creative team on there is Michael Fleischer and Jim Aparo. Um, Jim Aparo is a classic artist, worked on Batman for years and years and years and years. Um, but I'm going to get to that in a second. I'm going to hit a little background because I feel that background is important. Yeah, tell, so, us, tell us a little bit of, of backstory on the Spectre. Okay, so the Spectre created in more fun comics number 52 in 1940 so the specter predates wonder woman yep. post dates superman by two years post dates batman by a year um created by jerry siegel um who i really? don't know he, he created a little comic character that not many people know now named superman never I heard of him not, I, I actually didn't realize that he had created other characters besides superman there yes. even now okay. it's there. um also the specter was co-created by bernard bailey um, who was the artist who created other characters such as Tex Thompson. He also did the American Commando. Um, and he did oh. the, um, the pirate adventure, the Buccaneer in more fun comics as well. Um, so that's just a little, a little background. Um, the Spectre is, okay, how do I put this? The Spectre's had a lot of origins over the year, like many comic book characters have. Not Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Those are pretty consistent. But uh, the Spectre, um, it was a police officer named Jim Corrigan 
who was murdered on the way by gangsters on the way to his engagement party. Um, as you do. As like, you do. Look, it happens. happens. It's a hazardous job. I yeah. mean, the mafia likes to pick the moments when you're most vulnerable and what that matter the yeah. most in your life just to yeah. screw it all up. Yeah. yeah. It's, now, um, it's a known fact. So the specter, the Jim Corrigan spirit was sent back to Earth by this unearthly creature that you never saw. You just saw the, the voice. You just saw the words. But what was uh, the implication, John? Well, that's, 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 that's God. God. Okay. Get ahead. Don't get ahead. <laughs> um, I just decided to become Billy Porter for a second. Girl, you did. slow down. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So now where was I? Okay. You were so talking he about- was spent, He was sent yeah. back to Earth with all sorts of supernatural powers, super strength, flight, intangibility, could do all of these amazing things. It wasn't until much, much later in the 60s, 70s that um, it was- implied that the voice that spoke to him was God and that the specter was the wrath of God. Was it that late? It was very late. Wow. Very, I had no idea late. it was that late. It was very, very late. Um, and so... Um, well, they've certainly hung on to that ever since, man. Holy lit. They have, yes. Like, it's, it's something that once it got introduced, there doesn't seem to be any shake in it. Yes. Now, the very <clears throat> early adventures of the specter were pretty... Um, gruesome for comics in the 40s um there were a lot of skeletons you know the the specter would burn the flesh off of people etc cetera, etc cetera. right the bad this guys. was before there were uh, you know age ratings and content warnings and you know long before long and, before well, was the comics we, code in force at that no, point no no no, okay. no the comics so code there was no comics code at that point 60s oh no 50s uh, mid 50s I mean, mid 50s, 50s yeah. Yeah. yeah for the uneducated the like me what is the comics code? Ah, the oh, comics actually, code authority. We'll, we'll get on. there. We're gonna yeah, get yeah. To that in a oh, sorry. Okay. We're, we're going to get God to bless. that. Okay. That's one of those okay. things. John's taking the, he's taking the John's, You know what? John's yes. getting us there. That's good enough for me. Now, okay. So, Josh, here's where the comics okay. code comes in. So, in the mid-50s, there was a gentleman, I'm using quotations, named Frederick Wortham, who wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent and ended up testifying before Congress. Comics had, at that point, they had like the EC crime comics and the EC horror, horror comics. Yeah. Um, at that point, um, there was uh, Batman had introduced, the Batman strip had introduced that woman because, of course, there were implications. Why is this man spending all of his time with his young ward? So they were worried that Batman would be conceived as, as a homosexual. Um, and child molester. Molester. Let's... Although at the time, I bet you that the first one was more of a concern than the second one. It was more of a concern than the second one, yes. I mean, like, as fucked up as it is to say, I guarantee you that's the order of importance to them it would have been. Well, let's, and let me just make something clear. Remember, we said, and child molester, not, those are not together. Yeah, no, 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 yes, no, I I, want to make sure that. Nobody thinks that. No, yes, yeah. no. Not saying that at all. Just simply that, that like, if they were looking at a list and setting priorities, I think the order you set it in would have been the priority they would have cared about it in. Is yeah. What I'm saying. And so um, the idea, Josh, was that comics um, were contributing to the juvenile delinquency. The, the problem 
of juvenile delinquency in America. And now, so now keep create- in mind, Josh, this is this is the sort of juvenile delinquency that they talk about in like Rebel Without a Cause, which was a very big movie at the time with like James Dean. And there was this whole kind of rock and roll youth culture revolt. Born, this was, you know, these were the- the, so this they thought that society was beginning to go into moral decay and uh, comic books, funny books, since they were so widely read by tens of millions of copies, um, were considered an easy source to go after for censorship, basically. So there were things put in place, like you couldn't show certain things, um, you couldn't, uh, you had to make sure that the bad guy was punished at the end, uh, you had to make sure that there were no perversions, um, et cetera, et cetera. So- A list of which, just kept getting longer and longer and more absurd as they went along. But this was also, John, correct me, this was a self-governing body because they wanted to get ahead of the government actually putting a rating system. So they pledged, did all the companies to regulate their own rating, put the Comics Code Authority stamp on every book so that parents knew if their kid brought it home or if they spent a nickel at the store that this was going to be safe reading. But this was a way to stave off any official government regulation basically it's like esrb or, yeah i mean on MPAA. some level yeah. it's the same yeah. it's the same thing as the mpaa all the ratings on movies are done by a private group that no one knows who the membership is until very recently some of them got outed but like for years that has been a suggestion from a independent committee it's not government enforced and in fact correct it doesn't mean jack like, like if you really analyze it, like the ratings we give movies are very arbitrary. So yes, they are. This is um, this is essentially um, the Hayes Code from the 1930s right. for comics. Yeah. Right. Um, so this started. Let me see. I can pull this up. 1954. Um, this continued until uh, 2010. Yep. Yeah. Now the the other thing too is that the entire propaganda against superhero comics being the ones that are contributing to the downfall of society for at least a decade kind of killed the superhero comics as far as sales. And they went back to doing Westerns. They went back to romance books. Um, And so it really, and you could see the change instantly, especially in books like Batman um, or anything on the darker sort of side. And so superheroes were out of vogue. And there were times where like Detective Comics was considered to be canceled. Batman was considered to be canceled um, until the 60s when the Silver Age of Comics kind of brought all these superheroes back in. Um, but it was it was a really, that was probably one of the lowest points for the superhero genre in this entire medium. Yeah, and there was some of that, and again, there was a lot of after the war. There was also mixed in with that was after the war, um, people were no longer necessarily looking for the same type of inspiration. Sure. So the Silver Age, the 1950s into the 1960s in comics are generally considered pretty wacky. Superman with an ant head, um, Batman in a zebra-striped costume. Right. Um, there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of like. It got very campy, sci-fi, pop kind of deal. Um, and it, it changed a lot of the way that in which we saw the characters, but it also opened <clears throat> up for legacy characters. It, it was also um, was fascinating. Just to jump in, like from the stuff, because like when I was a kid, 
I I remember having like a uh, a big a book that DC had put out of like Batman that covered the ages that like went back all the way to the thirties. Yeah. And so it was re it was like black and white reprints, but it was the stories. And, and like with the fifties moving forward, part of that camp is that every story was sort of sunshiny. Yes. In the sense of like, there is no doubt, no matter how grim it may be in the middle, that the superheroes are going to win, that the bad Correct. guys are going to lose. Like, Correct. There, and like that sort of optimism in comics, at least mainstream comics, sort of continued into the 70s. But that's also why they were able to camp up Batman, because it was already, you know, dancing on the edge. Now, moving into the 70s, they started to, to like try. Well, and this, stuff, this really but... becomes where we get back into the specter when they sort of started to be able to loosen up a little bit on those restrictions. Right, John? Um, yes and no. And the reason that, okay, so let me backtrack for one quick second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, the reason that I recommended these books is because we were doing Madame Xanadu. Um, I right. love, I, I have recently just kind of discovered a love of horror mostly because when I was young, girl, young, um, horror and slasher were sort of synonymous. And it took me a very long time to get over that and realize like, oh, it, horror doesn't necessarily mean gross out blood and gore all over the place. It can mean all of these things. And the second reason I often, um, especially uh especially younger people who are into comics or people who are just getting into it. I think that it's really, really important to look at comics in a historical perspective and understand where they're coming from and why things are sometimes presented the way that they are now. And so the two books that we're reading that we read today um, are both from the seventies, because I think it's really important to look at comics and I love this 1970s stuff. I think it's super fascinating. Um, the fact that some of this stuff was approved by the comics code is fascinating to me. Um, so shall we dive in, gentlemen? Sure. Okay. Let us. So, okay. So, uh, touch more history and then we'll start talking about it. Okay. So this Wrath of the Spectre, the Spectre Adventure comics run in the 1970s, um, this story is told from a couple of different perspectives. Some it happened before, some it happened after. But Joe Orlando was the editor, and um, the the story that most people tell is that shortly before this series started, when Joe hired Michael Fleischer and Jim Aparo, he had been mugged, and that is why the series takes a very dark, wow. vengeful approach to crime. Mm. Um, so that being said, Kelly, yes. truth time. Truth time. Yeah. This is a safe space. No one will judge you. Uh-huh. I mean, a little bit. Uh-huh. Okay. What'd you think? Um, well, first of all, I was able to look at the comics uh, uh, through the DC Universe uh, online. And um, thank you, Matthew. You're welcome. And um, part of it is that the collection online isn't complete. There's holes. So, like... Issue 431 is there, but 432 is not. 433 is there, 434 is there, 435 is it was that kind of thing. So <clears throat> I didn't, I wasn't able to get a sense of sort of an art, an overall arc necessarily. Um, but what I did 
make note of is that like it, it like you say, John, it was, uh, it, it's that it, it's a grim tone. Like it's a very sort of grown up feeling story that's for you know for kids. Like it, it's it, it it what it reminds me of is some of the more um, challenging or complex like uh, horror comics that you'd see out of the 1950s that you know again like are for kids but you read and go like these these are adult stories actually like the only reason people think of them as kids is is because they are drawn like that's yes you know and and i felt that way about these stories of the specter that it was like all right these are like i don't think it's damaging in any way i don't i'm not i'm not saying that (laughs) i'm not saying like you know like kids shouldn't look at these but it's just it's also like well it's definitely not like what I was talking about earlier, the sort of lighthearted, you know, the hero's going to win. It's a given kind of like, this is a world of, of a lot of ambiguity and a lot of frustration. And the thing I thought that was interesting is they make it a point of showing that, that Corrigan, at least the first issue I could read was, uh, was 431. So where the guy melted. Yes. Where the guy, like, like, first of all, where it, not just the guy melted, the specter melts him. I mean, like, Oh my God, it's, it's, it's intense. And, and certainly it is sort of, um, old Testament in its, uh, in its sense of justice. And that like, if you, you know, like, cause what I remember is that the melting is like, it's not, it's not just for cruelty's sake. Like the punishment is fitting the crime ironically. Yeah. Um, so now <clears throat> I'm sorry, go ahead. no, just, just intense, like for a kids for a kids comic, like th- this got into some very uh, grim, you know, sort of not not like in what they say, but just sort of a a, a representation of a world where there are no guarantees. There, it isn't a given. Corrigan is a cop. There's a level of frustration at failures from the past that plays into, you know, this weird characterization of him. Because like there's this supernatural element, he's come back to life, you know, because he was killed. But he's still like Jim Corrigan, a police detective who's, you know, been on the force X number of years and is frustrated at their inability to get shit done. So, you know. Now, okay, there's two things that you said that fascinate me. So let's let's yep. take a talk about them, yep. um, Matthew. I th- I I think you'll probably want to jump in on this, but will the- I? The first is, I'm, I'm assuming, the first is, it's interesting that you say ambiguity, because to me, there is no more, there's no moral ambiguity here. If this series were done today, it would be one of those things where, well, this person did one really bad thing, but they also did these three good things. Do we punish them the same way? Right. These bad guys are bad through and through, like from the I, there, time they were born. Yeah, there's there's you know, no, like like I say, it's a very sort of you know, primary color reality of like bad is very clearly bad. There's no guarantee that good will win, but there's no, there's no question about who's bad and who's good. I, yes, well, I there's, agree with that. To, yeah, to me, there's no, there is no guarantee that good will live, but there is a guarantee that good will never be punished. Right. Yes. Yes. That's true. That, so that to me, it's like, it's, it was one of those things I was having a conversation with someone when I was working at a bookstore. Side note, everybody. I was having a conversation with someone that I was working in a bookstore and they were like, they, they said the Hunger Games was more, was, you know, this gray thing. And I was like, what? There's nothing. I was like, gray. there's nothing morally ambiguous there's nothing about the Hunger Games. How, yeah. What, on and what their were they... argument said was, well, 
it's it's you know children fighting the, to the death and i was like yeah, yeah. who are yeah. your two favorite characters and they were like well katniss and Peeta. and i was like yeah you know who the two people are who don't kill anyone during the hunger games yeah katniss and Peeta. there's no moral ambiguity there we know who the bad guys are we know who the good guys are so anyway that's where i'm thinking moral ambiguity. sure yes 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 the second thing and matthew this is where you'll i'm sure you'll correct me um this thing is it's interesting that you talk about continuity because in the 70s what was important was continuity of character it wasn't necessary you didn't you weren't creating these long subplots mm. that happened you weren't creating these 10 year or you know 10 issue or year long subplots it was really just about i'm just going to tell the story and the editor was there to when if someone else took over to go that character wouldn't do that change it please so there weren't it wasn't a question of like you weren't trying to create trades you weren't trying to create this big long emotional drama you were trying to create a story that people would read so they would come back the next month and read because they liked the character not because there were dangling plot lines no it was really i i, I do not disagree with you john um <laughs> no it was this was at a time when comic books were still told episodically right every single issue of a comic was a beginning a middle and an end you also the comics were much longer than they are today as well so you've got a lot more yeah, bang for your buck that is absolutely today true. the storytelling is that it's written to be a longer more serialized form of storytelling and that's why people write we call it they write for the trade the trade paperback wherein you know, the amount of story that people fit into six issues of a comic, they fit into one issue of this story, basically, in a lot of ways. And it's it's a different mindset. But yeah, I mean, the editors, the editors were also there to tell you that you didn't know what the hell you were doing and rewrite your scripts for you sometimes. But um, but there's there's just a little of that that went on. But that's OK. It's interesting, though, because I, I remember uh because I was buying comics in the seventies, but before I was hooked into a specific world, I bought comics sporadically. I didn't collect like regularly, but certainly in the, in the later seventies, at least over at Marvel, you started to have like story arcs that were like four and five issues long. But, but as I think about it for DC in particular, I, I, I like most, if there was a complex story arc, it was like, continued two. in the next one it was two that was yeah it. Like, it you're was, right they you, were all like you'd have a one shot yeah well, and the thing about it is that particularly for this because even here the specter's not necessarily written as a superhero it's still being written as a horror book in genre storytelling at that time you still had kind of the one and done so the occasional two-parter when you went into things like marvel um in the 70s where you did have a bigger universe that they were working out of and that they focused on the mainstream characters especially then you did start to get into more serialized storytelling but it was still gradual but for genre books it was still a one and done or two-parter mm -hmm. to get your fix yeah serialized storytelling in the 1970s really started with the beginning with probably 1975 with Chris Claremont's X-Men. I was going to so say, you didn't Claremont, really, right? Yeah. You that's exactly really where I was. Yeah. yeah. You didn't really have long serialized stories before then. You didn't have these long subplots. I mean, if you look 
from X-Men 101, where Phoenix is introduced to X-Men 137. There's all sorts of plot lines that start in 101 and don't end until three so, years later. Right. Yes. That's that's not how most storylines no, did it. Like longest... The, <clears throat> the longest I can think of myself pr- uh, prior to that would be um, there are, like, issues of Doctor Strange, like, when he didn't even have a title. You know what I mean? Like, when it was still... It was, in, uh, it was still uh, like Strange Tales. Mis- or... yeah, Strange Tales. He was he was yeah. in Strange Tales, where you'd have like a story arc that would be say three issues long, but a he didn't fill the entire comic right because in Mystery Comics he's like yeah. the, you know half. Um, so yeah, a, that was during the the Nick Fury run. The yes, ex- yeah, Shield. exactly, yeah. yeah. But like Steranka, yeah. but like when he would go when he uh, went uh, up against uh, Dormammu in the dark in the dark dimension. That's like a four, like like that's a four issue arc in the sense of, you know what I mean? Like it it doesn't get resolved in one, but it is not this kind of scope that you're talking about, John, with Claremont, because Claremont really, you're right, like you know, is writing, uh, you know, clearly looking ahead a year from when you know some storylines would be starting. So. But also think of it think- in terms of entertainment, just in general, right? Even look at television series; there weren't season-long story oh, arcs. That didn't they start. Were, that didn't start everything until was to like the '80s. The X Files is the first one that had a first uh, big overarching story arc, like that of pop culture on television. Like the X Files yeah. is the first one that, like, there was this mythology that was supposedly carrying it all the way over. And prior sure. to that, sure. prior to that, like. You're right. Like it was all week to week. Yes. With you know, like uh, as stupid as it sounds, like Love Boat or Fantasy Island, the the continuity is the location. Right. You know, and to and John, like your point: characters. the continuity was the character. Yeah. 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 It was. It was very much about what what's what is the remaining. You know, what's the pull in this? The pull was the character. The pull right. was never this. You know, big story, this emotional story. Yeah. Um. So. Um, so here's the, here's, here's, here's the question really. Did you enjoy them? Yeah. Yeah. They're fun. They're very weird. They're probably not something I would give to a (laughs) nine-year-old. That was, I'm like, I'm like, I can see saying a teenager, like this might be up your alley, but like, I'm with you, like a nine-year-old, this is, I, I, you know. Do you know how many nine-year-olds want Deadpool? Yeah. Deadpool's colorful and at least funny. These are these are but these, these are, are very not these are very dark horror noir tales. Yeah, they really, because they are they are <clears throat> cross between them. I am fascinated that one of the things that fascinates me about this is um, there's really a lot of very creative ways to kill people when you can do anything. I mean, <laughs> it's everything from being attacked by mannequins to um, love being that one eaten by, by a way. giant kraken. Um, kraken, 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 eating by eaten by a giant kraken, um, <coughs> to glass and then knocked over. Oh yeah, so I happen shattered. to I happen to love the poetry of that one. Um, there's a lot of melting flesh. Yep. Um, in this, it's very. I'm actually kind of wondering. Um, uh, I'll call Steven Spielberg and just be like, "Hey, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That last guy who died was. Did you read the Spectre? Um, <laughs> a whole lot of stuff that goes in there." Um, but it's very weird and very creepy. And one of the things that I, one of the reasons that I wanted to, to do it is because I do find it fascinating to see how 
people who read contemporary comics look at past comics mm -hmm. um, because it's you know to me it's sort of like well yeah you can you can appreciate um, you know Star Wars all you want because it's a brilliant amazing movie but if you don't watch like the Seven Voyages of Sinbad and if you don't watch Plan Nine from under spa outer space you're not understanding where it's coming from yeah this is and where well I want to say thank you John. It has been a pleasure visiting your comics corner. I look forward to the next time we can be your neighbor. And uh, Josh, thank you for putting it all together. As always, our sound guru, our tech god. And uh, we are so excited. John, where can the people reach you on social media if they want to follow you and get more recommendations? Uh, I am on Twitter at... at John Petrie Wright, W-R-I-T-E, um, which isn't pretentious at all. Not in the least. No, no, not at no. all. It's just at John Petrie Wright. Um, I think, just be aware, I don't check Twitter. I check Twitter maybe every two weeks. But if you would like recommendations, send me a DM. Let me know what your favorite movie is, what your favorite TV show, what your favorite novel is. Um, and that way I can try to tailor something um, directly to you. Here, I'm gonna leave you with this thought. Just remember, comics and graphic novels are the oldest source of history that we have. Long before the written word, the stories of heroes and the dangers and the, the troubles that people faced were painted on walls. So just, just think about that when someone tells you that comics are for kids. Well, you know what's definitely not just for kids, like tricks might be, but you can find Don't Sue Us, Please, uh, everywhere podcasts are, Google Podcasts, Apple, um, SoundCloud, Spotify, just look up Don't Sue Us, Please, or the Superhero Podcast. Uh, please, 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 if you want to hear more of John's Comics Corner, some behind-the-scenes content, stuff that you will not hear on our weekly installments, go visit us at Patreon. It's just a couple bucks a month. It's like for about what you'd pay for one Starbucks coffee. You get all this really exciting new content. We're adding more every single week. So subscribe, like on all of your uh, wonderful social media channels. You can find me at MatthewKlein316 on Twitter because I am the bottom line. There is really exciting merchandise only available right now for people engaging with social media on our Patreon. Go get it. We mail it out to you. Um, and they are season specific and limited in supply. So get them now while they're available. And we want to thank you so much. So please just remember as you take this journey with us, ears open, buds in, and don't sue us, please.